Today we're continuing in our series, our Advent series. And so would you welcome up our senior pastor, Pastor Chuck Boer. Hey, and welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody in the building, everybody on the patio, out in the fog, <laughs> and all of you who are watching online. By the way, I have a special message for our online community. Uh, I want you to know our Christmas show is going to be so incredible, but for you, for you, it's going to be on Sunday, December 19th, premiering at 9 a.m., so that'll be the time for our online community to gather, to watch the show. It'll be on demand after that. But I want to encourage you to do something else. Invite people over. Uh, we're going to try to make this extra special for our online community, December 19th. Mark that down, 9 a.m. But, but make sure to invite people over, uh, friends, family, have food together, and then let's just enjoy the message God has for each one of us. So that's really special for our online people right now. But I want all of you to join me in welcoming one of my favorite people in the world, my godson, Malachi. And Malachi, you already know you're really special to me, right? Yeah. So dude, uh, you and I are going to get to share together in part of the Christmas story but who is your favorite person or persons in the Christmas story? I would have to say the wise men. You like the wise men. Okay, good, good, good. We're going to talk about them in a minute because I don't know if you heard what happened. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard what happened. The Supreme Court just recently shocked us all by ruling there could be no nativity scenes on the capital area of this country. They just did that. Uh, they said it's not political, it's not religious. They just can't find three wise men. <laughs> okay, the wise men. I, yeah, okay. Oh, good. We all think that one's funny. Yeah, okay. All right. My favorite, favorite person in the Christmas story is Simeon. Uh, for a lot of people, it isn't, but today you're probably going to pick up at least a reason why. And a lot of people in, on the, uh, looking at the Christmas story, they miss this incredible, godly, godly man who uh, God gave a very, very special message to, right? And Malachi today is going to make sure you and I know the story and is going to be reading, reading from the Gospel of Luke. Go ahead, Malachi. At that time, there's a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to him that he would not die till he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to, to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all the people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is glory of your people in Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent from a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deep Deepest of thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Great job. Great job, buddy. Wow. So Simeon is one of my favorite, favorite people in the Christmas story, and I want you to think about the times that he lived in. 
The Romans had uh, taken over that area of the known world. Uh, The Roman rule was very oppressive, very oppressive. You could not travel where you wanted to freely uh, unless you got permission from the Roman government and the Roman people who ruled that area of the country. Uh, The Jewish people couldn't worship the way they wanted. They kept having uh, rules inflicted on them that made it very, very difficult to practice their faith. And in that day and that time, there was a cry that went out for freedom. Freedom so that the government would not oppress us. Freedom so that they could be able to worship God the way they chose. And so during that time also, the religious leaders became very, very corrupt. And so that created even more of an outcry for God to bring relief, for God to bring freedom, for God to bring peace. And they knew, they knew in that day, in that time, that there was a prophecy, not just one, but hundreds of prophecies of the coming of a promised one, one who would bring freedom, one who would bring them uh, the presence of God in a powerful way. And so they were looking for the one called the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one. It had been prophesied all the way back to the time of Eve. And then it came again and again and again until Daniel, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived, he actually gave a timing for the coming of the Messiah. So anybody who studied scripture knew the time, and by the way, they knew the place. The Messiah would be born in a city called, everybody know? Bethlehem. And so they knew the time and they knew the place. And then Simeon, Simeon gets a word from God. God begins to share with Simeon something powerful and amazing. God told him, you will not die till you see the Messiah. Now, we don't know how old Simeon was when he heard that, but we know that he believed it. So he heard from God and knew it was God, and he believed God and took God at his word. Now, I don't know if you catch how incredible that is. Uh, But I can imagine there were some who, when Simeon said that, said, it's true. And I bet there were others who said, no, it's not. Simeon, how do you know? Imagine if, at the beginning of the year, I came walking out here with all of you, our Crossroads family, and I said to you, I was in my quiet time the other day, meeting with the Lord, and God spoke to me. And God told me, I will not die until I see the two witnesses preaching on the temple steps. Some of you would go, oh, that's incredible. Others of you would go, Chuck, you're off, man. Yeah, you know, some of you would go, I wonder, I wonder. And some of you would go, what temple and what steps and who are these two guys, (laughs) right? So let's talk about that real quickly just so you know. Uh, The Bible promises with hundreds of prophecies that Jesus Christ is coming again, the second advent of Christ. And the Bible promises that in those last days, the third temple will be rebuilt. Which, by the way, all the furnishings have been made for the third temple. The priests have been trained for the third temple. We know where the third temple will be built. On Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But we also know that when the temple is built, it will be built because the Antichrist will make a treaty that will allow the building of the temple. But in the middle of that treaty, two will come. Am I popping again? Okay. Um, Two will come who are going to be The witnesses in these last days, one for sure will be Elijah. The other will probably be Enoch, although it could be Moses. 
But the bottom line is, we know these two witnesses will preach on the temple three and a half years after that treaty is made. Now, the reason I'm giving you all that, let's go back to where we started. I walk out here and say, you guys, God spoke to me and said, I am not going to die until I see that happen. Now, a lot of different reactions would occur, but now let me ask you how you would feel when a few months later, you, you have someone text you, you got to go online. Someone calls you, did you hear what happened? And you find out that there's been a peace treaty made by a leader in Europe that has now said that they're going to allow the building of the temple. Now, would you start to go, hey, Chuck's not so weird after all. And a lot of you would look and go, okay, he's pretty old. We're close. We're close. But I'll tell you what, I think you'd go crazy. I think, by the way, if I walked out of the stage, you'd you'd be like, no, 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 we got to win people. But the bottom line is Simeon did hear that. Simeon was told, you will not die until you see the Lord's anointed, until you see the Messiah. And by the way, God was so true to his word, get ready for this. Again, I don't know if it'll get you, it gets me. Simeon held Jesus in his arms. Could you imagine? Anybody else get wild about that? Like, it's so incredible that he's watching for him and he walks into the temple eight days after he's been born. I, I, matter of fact, I believe Simeon probably prior to that looked up and saw the star in the sky and said, he's here. And he walked into the temple expecting to see him one of those days. And there he was. And he walks over and takes Jesus in his arms which, by the way, again, I think is pretty incredible that Mary, being a young mom, hands him over. And he holds him. He holds him and pronounces the prophecy of prophecies over him and over Mary that he will die. He will die for many other people. And he looks at Mary and says that a sword will pierce even the depths of your soul. And she had to look at Simeon and think it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The greatest joy of my life is holding Jesus. The greatest heartbreak is going to come when he dies. And uh, that had to be the case. So here's where we're going to go today. What does that have to do? And what does that have to do with you? And what does that have to do with me? And the answer comes down to this. There are four things that were true of Simeon that caused him to be so in tune with God that he could hear from God. See, God is speaking. The Bible's clear that God is speaking. The question is, are you and I listening? So the Bible tells us that in Job chapter 33, uh, verse 14, it says this. It says, for God speaks again and again. So God is talking, though people do not recognize it. So let me stop there. Every single one of us, every single one of us have heard from God. The question is, did you know it was God? So right now, there are some of you who go, yeah, I know there are times God spoke and I knew it was him. Others of you might be wondering, wait, Are you telling me, by the way, not Chuck, the Bible's telling me that God has spoken to me and I didn't know it? The answer is yes, for sure. God is speaking to you. Uh, And then it says this, he speaks in dreams and visions of the night when deep sleep falls on people as they lie in their beds. He whispers in their ears. He whispers in their ears and terrifies them with warnings. He makes them turn from doing wrong. He keeps them from pride. He protects them from the grave and crossing over the river of death. So the Bible tells us that God does speak to you. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Sometimes God speaks words of encouragement to you. And those encouraging thoughts that were in your mind were not from you, but from the Lord. Sometimes God gives you direction. 
Uh, he guides you to, to, to certain places. He guides you to make certain choices. Or, get ready for this, he gives you the direction and you don't take it. Because you didn't know it was him. But he does that. So do you want to have direction in your life? You've got to tune into God like Simeon did. Uh, the Bible says he gives you messages to warn you about things. Uh, and, and sometimes we take those warnings and sometimes we don't. Uh, God says that he wants to give you messages of things you would never know apart from him. That's why it says in Jeremiah 33, uh, verse 3, it says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you, tell you great and mighty things you do not know. God will do that. Uh, God gives you conviction and God gives you blessings. Sometimes he'll just speak blessing into your life. And you may not, you might think, where'd that thought come from? But it's one that made you feel so good. Because it was the Lord. And the Bible says that he's speaking. The Bible says he wants you to know that he has amazing things for you. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. That is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. But it was to us, now don't miss this, it was to us that God revealed. Did you catch that? God reveals these things to you. God tells these things to you. Uh, he revealed these things by his spirit. So the Holy Spirit, when you're a believer, uh, comes in and dwells you, and the Holy Spirit whispers things to you. It says, for his spirit searches out everything and shows us God's deep secrets. So what are we just read? We read, number one, that God does speak. Not everyone recognizes it. We read number two, that God wants to share with you things beyond description and beyond imagination. And he does that by the power of the Holy Spirit. But in this very same passage, we come to verse 14. And in verse 14, it says this. It says, but people who aren't spiritual cannot receive these truths. In other words, what is the key to hearing from God and knowing it's God and understanding what God has to tell you and not getting it? not getting it? Well, the answer is, are you spiritual? People who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's spirit. It all sounds foolish to them. By the way, there's a really good chance that some of you right now, here or online or on the patio, are thinking, oh, come on, man. Are you telling me God speaks to you, Chuck? And I'm like, yeah, you go, that's, that's crazy. God speaks to me? That's crazy. And you know what? I'm not trying to be judgmental, I'm not trying to put guilt on him. I'm trying to ask you to question. If the Bible's true, and I believe with all my heart it's true, I'd stake my life it's true. The Bible tells me God speaks to us and speaks to you. Here's the question. Are you spiritual enough to tune in and get it? Simeon was. Simeon was spiritual, and that's why he knew when God told him, you're not going to die. You're not going to die till you hold that baby in your arms, that he knew it. So it sounds foolish to people who aren't spiritual. They can't understand it, for only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Now, so that, this is the key. There are four things we know about Simeon that defines what it means to be spiritual. And when you're spiritual, you'll hear from God. In other words, right now, many of you are hearing from God, and this is an affirmation or confirmation of that for you. Some of you today, this is brand new, and it's like we're going to flip a switch. We're going to turn the ignition, and that very, very voice of God's going to come to you. 
It's always been there, but now's your chance to tune in. So God wants you to do that. So what is it that made Simeon uh, spiritual? What is it that made Simeon be able to tune into God? There are four characteristics that Simeon had. Number one, he was righteous. Number one, he was righteous. And you know, Jesus said this to you and to me. In Matthew chapter five, verse six, it says this, blessed, and the word blessed means incredibly happy. Incredibly happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, I think many of you know this, if not most of you, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, an ancient form of Greek. And uh, in Koine Greek, it's a very rich language. And, and there's a certain tense in the Koine Greek, tense, called present tense, which means it's always continuing. And so when you read this in the Greek, it would be this. Blessed are those who keep hungering and keep thirsting for righteousness, for they shall keep being satisfied. Did you catch that? Blessed are those who keep hungering, not just hunger, but you keep hungering and you keep thirsting for righteous things. For then you will be satisfied and you'll keep being satisfied. I would hazard to say and probably be 100% accurate in this, that if you're not satisfied right now, that it's because you're not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Okay, so think about that. Because we're in a world that does not hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're in a world, by the way, that I don't think has a clue what righteousness even means. Righteousness means this, acting in according with divine law and being morally right. Do I hunger and thirst to act according to divine law and to be morally right? Doing things God's way according to God's will and how I relate and live my life and how I relate to others. Righteousness has a lot with choices I make and it has a lot, a lot to do with how I relate to other people. Am I a righteous husband? Am I a righteous father? Am I a righteous grandfather? Those are questions I need to look and keep hungering to be righteous in that area. Am I righteous in the way I preach and teach with you? Am I righteous in the way I go to the store? Uh, by the way, that, that's one thing that I, I've got to ask a lot. Am I righteous in how I drive? Because I cannot tell you the number of times somebody is in front of me going slow and I'm like, oh, and later on they're like, Pastor Chuck. Yeah. But you know what? Whether any of you see me or not, you know who always sees is God. God said, do you treat that person that way? Did you, did you care for that? Did you watch and show them kindness? And the God's clear we need to be that way. By the way, this is going to get to be a little poignant, so get ready. The Bible says that a righteous person treats their body as an instrument of righteousness. Romans chapter 6 verse 12 says this, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. So if I'm righteous, I'm not going to do things to create lust in me. Uh, using different forms of things that would create sexual immorality. Uh, maybe music, it may be streaming services, it could be the internet, uh, it could be my iPhone. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because my body isn't to have sin reign in it. And do not go on presenting the members of your body as sin, uh, to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members, your bodily members, as instruments of righteousness to God. So, so here's what I want to say. 
when I hear this phrase, well, no one can tell me what to do with my body because my body is my body, I know right away that person cannot be a Christian in reality. Now, you might say, that's judgmental. No, no, that's just, the Bible says you know them by the fruit. and You speak out of the abundance of the heart. Because if I love the Lord, guess what? My body belongs to who? God. And I use my body to glorify God. And today, we're in a country that doesn't get that. They act like, you know what? I can take my body and use it for whatever I want and they're presenting their body as instruments to sin. And I'm not trying to be condemning. I just want to say it with clarity. And the taking of the life of a baby is not presenting your body with righteousness. That child is a gift from God. The Bible says in Psalm 127, children are a gift from the Lord. And when a a person, a couple, or a woman chooses to take the life of that child, that child was a gift from God. And we're at a time, by the way, I'm praying the Supreme Court finally gets it right. But I hope every Christian gets it right. You know, we've, we've got we've to stand for life. And we've got to stand for using our bodies to glorify God. And by the way, I want to say this. Pam and I, if you don't know, we committed the worst sin imaginable when we took the life of one of our children. And I, I don't say that lightly, but I want you to know if you say, well, Chuck, you're condemning people and pointing the finger. No, you know what I'm doing? I'm crying out to any woman who's committed that sin, come to Jesus and find forgiveness and healing. And I'm crying out for all of us, let's stand for the protection of children. But you and I, if we're going to hear from God, we've got to be righteous. And we've got to present our bodies as instruments of righteousness. And we've got to make sure to be careful to be righteous. Why? Because you live in a world that will stain you. That's what the Bible says. We live in such a polluted world that as righteous as you might be, if you don't keep hungering for it and keep thirsting for it, you'll be stained by unrighteousness. James said this in James 1 verse 27. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And the world wants to stain you with sexual pollution. The world wants to stain you with greed and selfishness. The world wants to stain you uh, with hate and bigotry. The world wants to stain you with all those kind of things. And the Bible says, no, don't allow yourself to be stained by those things that are unrighteous. Make sure you are keep hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I don't know if you uh, are like me or not, but I think many of you are. How many of you have like a favorite shirt and, uh, and then you get a stain on it? And you look at it thinking of all the shirts, not this one. You know, I am, and you're like so aggravated. And then do you, do you feel this? Do you feel like no matter where you turn, people can see the stain? It's like there's this glow, stained shirt, stained. And, and then if you're like, I, believe it or not, I do this. Not, I don't have Pam do it. I, I right away am like, I got to get that out. So as soon as I get home, I run into our area where our laundry area is. I take off that shirt. I take soap and I put it on it. I scrub that spot with everything I've got. I get it into the washer and let it soak. Uh, sometimes it'll come back out after I get it out of the dryer. And the first thing I do is I look, is the stain there or not? 
And when it's there, I'm like, no. I can never wear that shirt again. My favorite shirt is gone. And there's an aching mourning in me as I throw it in the trash. Sometimes I think we probably ought to burn it. It's such a good shirt. But you know what's weird? One little stain can do that for me. Maybe not to you. But I, I feel like that, that that attitude is the one we ought to have about us spiritually. Hey, I don't want to be stained. I don't want to be stained. But you know, here's the good news. There are times in a world like this where you do fail. There's times in a world like this where you do sin. There's times in a world like this where things do hit you and splatter on you. But here's what you need to know. There's no sin you could ever commit more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ to wash you completely clean and make you white as snow. And so we can know that and trust that to be true. So the Bible says that. He says, you know what? One reason, one big reason that Simeon heard from God is he hungered and thirsted for righteousness. He was a righteous man. The second thing about him is pretty cool to me too. Not only was Simeon righteous, Simeon was devout. Devout. I, you know what's so interesting? I think the idea of righteousness is misunderstood. I think the idea of being devout is not even thought about. Like, I don't think this is a whole lot of time you walk up, get up in the morning and say, I'm going to be devout today. I don't think you look at someone and go, man, you are devout. Like, we so lost the whole idea of it. We don't even use the word anymore. But he was, he was devout, which means this. He was committed, he was carefully religious, and he was devoted. By the way, sometimes religious gets this uh, kind of... Uh, uh, bad rap, which could be understandable because it can be taken and misused. But you even saw that James said pure and undefiled religion. We need to be a religious people. And, and religious people, in a positive way, are people who understand that everything in their life is devoted to God. Devout actually means the idea of being completely devoted so devout is how you behave and think when it comes to God. So righteousness is about your choices and actions. And righteousness is about how you treat other people. But devout is how you view everything from the perspective that I am completely devoted to God. Completely devoted to God. So by the way, we don't want to make it just a religious ritual. But almost all of us, if not all of us, we, we pray before we eat. Why? Because we're devoted to God. And we believe that the food we get is a gift from God. And then, uh, so what happens is many times, you know, we, we pray, like we'll get together with friends and we'll say, hey, let's pray before we eat. Why? We're devoting that time to God. Uh, I do think sometimes that's misunderstood. Um, but, but here's the bottom line. There's something really powerful and special about that. And I know I, I've been in restaurants and looked over and seen people praying. And, and does anybody else to you go, wow, that's really awesome. Does anybody else feel that way when you see that? Yeah. And, you know, I, I think sometimes we pray because we're not sure if the food is safe. <laughs> Lord, protect me from that. <laughs> but devoted people, devout people, they even view the way they eat as something devoted to God. First Corinthians 10.31 says this, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Uh, 
By the way, uh, Jesus, we know, did always bless the food. Uh, and, and just so you know, what does that mean? Well, the Jewish blessing is a little different than how you and I think of it, but that's what Jesus would have used. And, and he would have said these words. Before they ate, he would have said, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has given us the food to eat for our sustenance and the wine to drink for our joy. Or he would have said the, the uh, bread to fill our body and the wine cause our face to glisten or something like that and and so they would they would call out a blessing on God before they ate because every time you ate you would say God this is a blessing from you so the way we eat is devoted to God Uh, by the way a person who's devoted to God is going to to always be praying about everything they do first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 says this rejoice always pray without ceasing In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now remember, this whole message I'm giving you is about tuning into God. And I want you and I to be tuned into God and and hear from God. Well, to have that happen, you have to be righteous, you have to be devout. And if you're devout, you would be someone who prays. And when you pray... Uh, what happens is you begin to believe God's going to give you answers. And here it says to pray about everything, to pray without ceasing. So what you do is you're always praying that prayer. You know, Lord, we're going to go eat today. Where should we go eat? Lord, um, you know what? We're thinking about moving. Where would you want us to move? By the way, I'm hearing a lot of people say that to me right now. They're saying, I just want out of California. Anybody else here to say that? I just want out. And if you ever come and say that to me, uh, some of you have, you already know what I'm going to say. Well, just make sure you pray about it. Make sure you pray and ask God where you, where he wants you to go. Uh, and I've had people, uh, I've shared that with them. I said, Hey, I'll pray for you. And they've come back later and said, Hey, you're not going to believe it. Uh, the most amazing opportunity and amazing home opened up for us in, and they named the place. It's almost always Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> and then other people say, you know what? I was praying about it and the Lord put it on my heart. Not now, not now. And I think that God has a very unique direction to guide you in. But if you're gonna hear from God, it makes sense. You gotta do what? You gotta ask him. James chapter four, verse two says, you have not because you ask not. So ask, ask. Lord, should I take this job? Lord, should I go to this college? Lord, should I date this person? Lord, should I marry this person? Uh, Lord, we're praying about having a child. Is this the time? Uh, Lord, you know, we, we, we've been wondering about, is this the time for this particular trip? Uh, by the way, we do, uh, we're going to come up to what we call boldly bless. Boldly bless. And, and so we're asking everybody, what do we do? To be so devoted to God that you not only give to the Lord, but during this season, you give $1 more than you would normally give. And then uh, per person per week. And then we take our attendance, believing everybody will do that. And then we go and change somebody's life. But here's the thing you need to know. Our boldly blessed team prays for who it should be. So there's lots of needs out there. It's like Lord, guide us to the right one. And that's where the miracle stories come from. Like, oh my gosh, we could have done 10 things, but we can't do 10 things. But God showed us the one, and that one mattered more than ever. And we keep hearing of all these ripple effects. And so you and I ought to be that way too. A devoted person's gonna pray about everything. A devout person's gonna pray about everything. A devout person's gonna be in the word. 
Uh, and they're going to study God's word. Um, I'm really excited about this, but we feel very, very much during this season that we ought to really, really emphasize what we believe is the, the biblical lifestyle of discipleship. And uh, what does that mean? Well, back in the time of Jesus, uh, discipleship happened in what was called four houses. Uh, so one was your own home, which was devoted to God. The second one was the house of worship, which was either the temple or the tabernacle. And people would gather there in a large community to worship God together. And then the third one's kind of interesting. Uh, the third one was called the house of study. The house of study. And so in the house of study, you would go to intense times of study. Like a, there's a synagogue in Capernaum, which actually Jesus preached in. And you could see the main area, the house of worship. And on the side was a smaller one for they did intense studies with the school of the rabbis. And then the fourth one is going home to home with other people and sharing in fellowship together. But we are now uh, dedicating Wednesday night to what we're calling our main venue for the house of study. And so what we want to do is we always want to preach God's word, but Wednesdays is going to have a different perspective. Uh, while everyone's welcome, Wednesdays more than ever is aimed at those who are followers of Christ and want to go deeper. And we want to do a great theological teaching with you. Uh, so uh, right now we're doing the seven churches of Revelation. In January, we're going to do the names of God. Because I want you to know the, the, the seven main names of God. And then also have an understanding. Are you ready for this? God has 950 names and titles. And, and I want you to understand what that means and why. And then we're going to follow that with a whole series on spiritual warfare. So you're, you're equipped to wage war spiritually against the enemy. And, and so we're going to do that on Wednesday nights for you. By the way, starting in January, it will be in person and online. So uh, if you want to come be here in the room with us, uh, we'll be teaching you in very in-depth ways. But a devout person's going to be someone who's digging in the word, studying God's word, hearing from God in that moment. And Simeon was someone who did that. And he did it in a very special way. Then the third thing about Simeon is this. Simeon was righteous. He was devout. He was expectant. He believed that Jesus Christ was going to come. One reason God said, hey, Simeon, you won't miss him is because he was already looking for him. And you and I need to be people who do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, one of the oldest creeds of the Christian church is found in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, where it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desire, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. All that had to do with being righteous and devout. Now, verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. In other words, one of the oldest creeds of the church said that believers are looking for the second advent of Christ. We're watching for the moment he'll return. And Simeon, one reason God spoke to him, he was expectant for the first advent that would happen in his day. And you and I need to be expectant for the second advent that will happen in our day. By the way, I was telling Pam, I felt like this last week watching the news was just sign after sign after sign that we're in the last days. Did you guys see that NASA has just enacted a, a, a mission to be able to try to knock asteroids off course that will hit the earth? Did anybody else see that? 
Why, why are they saying that? Because it's imminent that one day an asteroid that has the ability to destroy life on earth will impact our planet. But the Bible said this. The Bible said in the last days, we will be hit three times and that we're going to know way ahead of time before we get hit. The Bible says one of the signs of the coming of Jesus is people will look up at the sky and faint with fear with the expectation of what's coming upon the earth. Do you know we only now live in that day and time? That's one of the signs that Jesus Christ is coming back. And when you hear our scientists are saying, get ready, it's not a question of if we'll get hit, but what? When we'll get hit. What does that tell you as a believer? He's coming. He's coming. When you hear the idea of a one-world economy, Bitcoin, no, I'm kidding, I don't know. But one-world economy, which we're getting closer and closer to. Uh, when you hear of the, I, this is a scary one to me, but, but when you find out that all nations of the earth will persecute Christians, do you guys agree that we're watching even the United States turn against us? Yeah, well, you know what? I'm, I'm not happy about that, but it's a sign of the coming of the Lord. Um, uh, when a world leader rises out of Europe, uh, when a global pandemic takes our, our world to its knees. Oh, wait, we know that one, right? And, and here's the thing. When you start seeing all these things happen, the Bible says, look up. Jesus said, look up, because your redemption draws near. We are living in a time like no other. Matter of fact, here's what's so interesting. For years ago, when I would teach on the last days, people would come and say, oh, it's always been like this. Do you know how many people have said that to me now? Zero. Nobody has said to me it's always been like this because it hasn't always been like this. We are living in the last days. And I don't know about you, but I echo the words of the Apostle Paul when he said the word Maranatha. And what does Maranatha mean? It means Lord come quickly. Lord, anybody else like a Lord come quickly moment? And then we would do that together. Yeah, so here's the thing I want you to think about is that's one reason that Simeon heard from God because he was looking for the coming of Jesus. And, and by the way, I could promise you this, all the Crossroads family, I'll be constantly telling you, this happened, that happened. I, I'm, not, I, I'm just too excited, I can't keep it in. Then the fourth thing about Simeon is this. He was filled. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, he had a filling from the Holy Spirit that caused him to be so in tune with God he couldn't miss it. And so we know that that was powerful within him, that he was an anointed man of God, filled with God's Holy Spirit. Uh, in Galatians 5.16, it says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So we are to walk or live our life by the Holy Spirit. Every day, every moment, every step you take, it's, Lord, I want to be a filled with your Holy Spirit. Now, there are two keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Luke, we see one of them. In Luke 11, 13, it says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to who? To ask. So here's the thing. Remember, in the, the, the New Testament Greek, if there's a present tense. This literally is saying this to those who keep asking him. Now, when you're a believer, you get the gift of the Holy Spirit, but the filling comes again and again and again. And so what that verse is saying is, how much more will God give the Holy Spirit to those who keep asking and keep asking and keep asking? And so I want to just more than ever say to you, do it, do it. God wants you to. 
You know, you get up in the morning and say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. When you're going into a tough situation, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Ah, when you're asking for direction, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, and keep asking and expecting for the Lord to give you a special filling of the Holy Spirit. So that's the first thing the Bible says needs to happen for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the second one? The second one's found in the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 32, where it says, and we are as witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So what are the two keys to being filled with the Holy Spirit? One, ask, and two, obey. And so I want to obey, and if I obey, I'll be righteous and I'll be devout. And if I obey, I'm going to be expectant. And if I obey, then the filling's going to come. And God wants that with you, and God wants that for you. That's what made Simeon so in tune with God. That's what made Simeon be able to look around and say, I'm living in the time. Daniel told me that. And I know the place is Bethlehem. And while we don't know this for sure, I bet money he walked out and saw the star and said, he's here. He's here. And then he went to the temple every day knowing that somehow Jesus would be there. Because that's what godly parents would do. And when he saw him, he thought, it's him. And he took Jesus into his arms and held him close. Knowing all that was going to happen in his life. Hearing from the Lord every moment. And that's what God wants your life to be like. One of the things the Bible says is this is what the scriptures mean when they say, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor is it ever in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. What does the scriptures mean? It means that God wants to share things with you. God wants to do things for you. God wants to show you things. That's what the scriptures mean. That's what the Bible means. And then it goes on to say in that next verse, and to us, to us, all these things are revealed. How? By the Holy Spirit. That's the life you're to live. That's the person you're to be. You don't have to be old like Simeon or old like me. You just got to be his. And do you know what? God could not love you more than he does. God could not care about you more than he does. God could not have thought of you more than he does. The Bible says he thinks about you more than there's sand on the seashores. That's how much God thinks about you. And the thing I want you to know is he wants to talk to you. So don't be one who it's said, God has spoken once to you and even twice, but you didn't recognize it. I want you to be someone that God spoke and I heard. God whispered and I knew it was him. And you could get to a point as you grow in a relationship with God where you know his voice that clearly, where you know his voice that clearly. The other day, Pam and I were at her favorite place besides Crossroads. Most of you already know where that is, Disneyland. The most expensive place on earth. And we got separated. And most of you who know my wife would not be surprised at this. I just stood there and listened. Because at some point, Pam's going to laugh. And I waited. There was her laugh. And I knew where she was at. Why? I knew her voice. I love that voice. I love that laugh. And after all these years, there's so many times where the Holy Spirit speaks and I'm like, I don't even have to ask, is it you? I know it's him. It's you. It's you. And it's not because 
I'm more perfect than anybody here. It's just because I've been around him longer. And he's been in me so long. And that's what God wants for you. So right now, if you aren't close to God, let me tell you what the Bible says. There's a calling in James chapter 5 or say, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. So you just draw near to him, knowing he will give you righteousness, knowing he will help you to be more devoted and devout, knowing he will open your eyes to be more expectant, knowing he will fill you with the Spirit. And right now, some of you need that. And so what do you need to do? Well, you need to ask. Remember, that's one of the things, one of the keys. How much more was this going to happen to those who ask? And so right now, I'm going to lead a prayer where you can ask God to make you completely his, where you can ask God to fill you with this Holy Spirit, where you can ask God to, to draw you close. And then after you ask, the next thing is you got to obey. And the Bible says that the next thing you do is you need to make it known. So right now, if you are ready to say yes to God, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me here on the patio or online. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. Whisper this prayer. You can pray it alone. You can pray it with the person next to you. You can pray it with family. But pray this prayer. Don't let today go by. Don't miss out on all God wants for you and has for you. Pray this prayer with me. And then after you pray the prayer, if you're online, I want you to text in amen to 77247. Why? Because you want to make it known. You want to make it known. But if you're in the building or on the patio, we're going to stand and sing. And if you pray the prayer, I'm going to ask you to make your way to an aisle, make your way to the stairs, make your way into the building, walk down one of these aisles and let us greet you. And then head in this room we call the living room. And in there, we're going to give you a Bible and we're going to share some next steps with you uh, uh, so you get closer to God. If you are online, if you text in, we're going to share all those things with you. But our, our hope is you won't let this moment pass you by. There's some of you right now, I think the Holy Spirit's going to speak, and are you going to listen? Something's going to say, pray that prayer. Something's going to say, make that walk. If you want to grab someone's hand and say, come with me again, but make that walk. Let's pray. Father, I praise you and thank you right now for how much you love us and care about us. And, and the fact that you, Lord, want a relationship that's so real and so true that you speak to us and we hear, we listen. So I pray right now, oh Lord, that you would speak to the heart of anybody who needs to open their heart to you and commit their life to you. I pray right now they're going to do that. If that's you, right now, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died for my sins. Please forgive me and cleanse me from all my sin. Please heal me from hurt and pain. And most of all, please make me completely yours. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen if you pray that prayer. Thanks again for joining us. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we hope you'll text amen to 77247 so we can provide you with the resources to help you on this journey. If this message resonated with you, or you need prayer for something, would you let us know in the comments below? Our team reads every comment that comes through, and we love interacting with you.
If this message added value to your life, click the subscribe button and turn on post notifications so that you'll never miss out on a new message. We're live on Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. right here online and Sundays at 9 a.m. and on demand anytime after that. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.